Cassie was a young, vivacious teenager, and as she entered high school, she took a dramatic turn for the worse, heading down the wrong path in life. Parents, obviously, very frustrated, very concerned. It seems like whatever they did to try to correct that just made things worse. They were just kind of at a loss of what to do next. But just as quickly as Cassie took this wrong turn and began going a wrong direction in life, she just as quickly surprised her parents. One day she pops up and tells her mom and dad, I'm going on a youth retreat this weekend with the church. They, They were shocked, they were surprised, very grateful, certainly began praying that this weekend would make a difference and they would have never imagined would have never imagined that the very thing that they were praying for, God could answer bigger than they ever thought. That weekend did make the difference in Cassie's life. She made a decision for Christ, came home and told her mom and dad that she had done that and said, I'm a new person, you just watch and see. Boy, and watch and see they did. As the next months and and years unfolded in Cassie's life, she just began a very profound walk with Christ. She, She was a leader in the youth ministry and very active in the church. She got involved at a at a local mission working with with drug addicts and prostitutes, just serving Christ every way she could. One day the the pastor came to several of the youth and I think it was related to something he was doing in a in a sermon and asked them to, to put together this video for him. And they, they did, and I, I believe it was kind of on hypocrisy. And in and, and the particular part that Cassie played, she said, gave testimony on this video that, you know, I, I just, I want to live clearly for Christ. I don't want there to be any contradictions, any hypocrisy in my life. They showed that video on a Sunday morning, and two days later on a Tuesday, Cassie was sitting in the library at school studying when two young guys, Eric and Dylan, walked in and put a gun in Cassie's face. They asked her if she believed in God and she she did hesitate just for a second, but then very calmly and confidently said, yes, I do. They were screaming and yelling and demanding to know why she would believe in God, but before she could give any kind of answer, they shot and killed Cassie Bernal, along with 13 other students that morning and Columbine High School. Tragic moment in American history, a tragic moment in our schools. I wonder though if we could bring Cassie here today, if I could get God to let her out of heaven for a moment and and come here and interview her, if I said, Cassie, what do you think, what would you say to us today about the, the tragic ending of your life? You know, I don't think she would say her life was a tragedy. I don't think she would say she had a tragic ending. I believe that Cassie Bernal would say that day was for Jesus. He won. And so did I. See, I believe there is a way to live. And I think Cassie had tapped into that life. There is a way to live where you never lose. It doesn't matter what the circumstance, what the situation, what the relationship brings. You never lose. Man, wouldn't we like that? A life that's characterized by, by strength, by confidence, by the win. We win. And who doesn't want that? Well, wanting it's not the hard part, is it? Now we want that. I, I think we wonder if it's real. 
Maybe we wonder if, if such a life would be possible for us. I mean, maybe some of us in here, we, we look back over the summer, we look back over the last year, and we think, ah, I would describe my life with several words, but, but winning and confidence and strength are, are not the words I would use. Sometimes life can just kind of wear us down and don't feel like there's much of a win out there for us. Folks, God has a win for you. That's the life he has for you. I think Cassie shows us that, and I know Paul shows us that and teaches us that. Let me show you where. Would you turn with me this morning to Philippians chapter 1? Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. If there's not one right in front of you, hopefully not too far away, uh, you point to it. I know somebody will hand it to you. Philippians chapter 1. It's kind of in the probably middle, maybe moving past the middle of your New Testament. Get past Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and you should run into Philippians unless somebody's moved it in your Bible. That's where it belongs. You get to Colossians, Thessalonians, you've gone too far, head back. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote during his first Roman imprisonment. I call it a first because there was a second Roman imprisonment. Twice he was imprisoned while in Rome. This is the first one. And he wrote actually several uh, letters or books of the New Testament during this time. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians. Uh, also wrote a letter to an individual by the name of Philemon. He's writing this letter, and, and Philippians actually is kind of, I guess for lack of a better word, it's a thank you letter. He's saying thank you to the church in Philippi. Paul had been there. He loved that church. They loved him. There was a real close relationship, and, and the church at Philippi just kind of took it upon themselves. You know what? We're going we're gonna to support Paul's ministry. We're going to make that happen. And they quite often they gave financial gifts to him. And as a matter of fact, there was a member of the church named Epaphroditus. If you can spell that, you get some kind of an award, I think, when you get to heaven. Uh, but Epaphroditus, uh, the, the church has taken up a, a, a gift, an offering for Paul. And Epaphroditus took that gift. He left Philippi and he is coming to Rome and he delivers the gift to Paul in his imprisonment. And so Paul in response is writing this letter. If you get to chapter four, you, you really pick up the nature of the thank you that Paul is giving as he writes this letter. Now, can you imagine he's, he's writing a letter and, and he's in jail. Now, you know, I don't know if you've ever gotten a letter from somebody in jail, ever had to be in jail. It's not, not usually a pleasant place to be. It's not usually filled with good feelings and a lot of hope. There's usually a lot of discouragement, a lot of despondency. And yet that's nothing at all like what we find in this letter. Can you imagine Epaphroditus as he's heading his way back to Philippi and, and he's got this letter in, ha in hand? Don't you think he looked? Would you have looked? Yeah, you'd have looked. Why are you staring at me? Man, you got a long journey back to Philippi. Let's see what he said, you know. And, and, and as Philippi looked, did, did he see despondency? Did he see discouragement? Did he see the, the pleadings of a guy in jail? No, man, as he reads this letter, there, there's a sense of excitement. There's a sense of winning. Winning? How are you winning in jail? You know, what's interesting is we get a little bit of insight to Paul in this letter. 
This letter is 104 verses long. It's a short letter. I mean, you flip through it right there, probably in your Bible, depending on the size of the letters, probably not more than two or three pages long. You could read it this afternoon in probably 10 or 15 minutes. Let me rephrase that. You should read Philippians this afternoon in 10 or 15 minutes. 104 verses long, not very long. Would you believe in 104 verses, 51 times he refers to Jesus? You know, if you think about it, there's a message right there, isn't there? I mean, where do you go in the face of adversity? Where do you go in the place of rejection? Where do you go in the depths of loss? You go back to Jesus and back to Jesus and back to Jesus. And that's the message of Paul's life. That's where Paul is living. And in this very short, profound letter, he's going to tell us, live for Christ. It's always going to produce a win. Always, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, it's going to produce the wind. Let's see if we can pick up a little bit of that flavor here in chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. It says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted... Now, what's happened to him? He's been jailed. Has actually resulted in the advancement... When you think of being jailed, you think of being halted. You think of being stopped. You're restrained. You're confined. And he says, no, what's happening for me is an advancement. That's a winning word, isn't it? It has resulted in the advancement of the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. Some, to be sure, preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, seeking to cause me trouble in my imprisonment. <laughs> what does it matter? Just so that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. Because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And maybe one of the most profound and in a short verse in the whole New Testament, verse 21, for me, living as Christ, dying just gets better. Dying is gain. Paul in this passage tells us that living for Christ, first of all, is going to turn every circumstance into a winner. Now, what's Paul's circumstance? He's in jail. Now, honestly, this isn't the worst jail situation you could be in. Paul had some bad jail situations. He had some, the dungeons, the deep, dark cells, those kinds of things. That's not what he is in this first Roman imprisonment. He's actually under what we would probably refer to today as house arrest. I'm almost positive that he did not have an electronic bracelet. Take some. Why do you think he didn't have an electronic? There was no electricity. I'll just help you out there. But uh, he's under house arrest. 
So it's not a, not a horrible situation. He has a little bit of more freedom of movement. He can receive guests, receive people like Epaphroditus. So while it's not the worst case scenario for, for being jailed, for being confined, but instead of an electronic bracelet, he, he does have a bracelet. It's called a chain. And it is attached to a Roman guard. He's in a house, but he is attached 24 hours a day, seven days a week to a Roman guard. Now, they, they get to change out. Every six hours, the Roman guard would change. But, but he's attached. Now, think about that. Especially, I mean, we're all a little bit different in our personality. Some of us need a little bit more me time than others. I, I would be one of those. Some of us need a little bit more alone time. I mean, can, can you imagine that with Paul? I mean, he can have a conversation with anybody he wants. Never a private conversation. He, he can spend as much time with the Lord as he wants. Reading, praying, studying. But never alone with the Lord. And folks, if you've always got somebody in your face like that, I think, I think for most of us, the most extroverted, over time, that's going to be a little bit wearing, isn't it? Physically, emotionally, that's going to begin to, to drain you a little bit. But it's not just what, what Paul is feeling, maybe, in a sense of loss of freedom. Think of what the church is feeling. Man, their hero is down. The, 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 our champion has been stopped. And think of all he was doing to, to advance the gospel, to grow the church, his, his missionary efforts. And now all that has come to a halt with a very uncertain future. You, you see, we look at this, folks, and we're going to see loss in this. We're, we're gonna, this is not what we'd want. We, we, we would be praying that this would stop, that this would come to an end. This is a loss. Did you pick that up when we were reading? And there, there's no loss here. Paul's using words like advancement and rejoice and eager and expectation and hope. Paul looks at this circumstance and all he sees is a win. And that's not just Pollyanna thinking. He's not just trying to say, well, you know, everything's going to work out and God's in control. No, he's not just covering it with cliches. He's looking at very real things that are being done in his circumstances. For instance, you and I would think of Paul as being chained to these Roman guards. You know what Paul's thinking about? <laughs> no, sir, they're chained to me. 24 hours a day, I've got somebody I can witness to. 24 hours a day, some of them are coming to Christ. I've got somebody I can disciple and grow in the Lord. And, and as Paul, as the, as the months are adding up, obviously, just like our present day military, some of these Roman guards are going to get a new assignment. They're, they're going to be deployed somewhere else. And so Paul's got this guy or, or a number of guys that he's, he's led to the Lord. He's discipled them. Now they're leaving and going to another post, another part of the empire. And as Paul watches them, he's saying, man, that guy's going somewhere I would never thought of going. He's going to be around people I would never meet. And Paul sees, what does he say there? The advancement of the gospel. But not only does he see the gospel advancing that way, but he said, as, as people come to see me, as my friends come to see me, guys like Epaphroditus, they're being emboldened. Can you imagine if you and I got to go see Paul? We, we went in there and we knocked on the door. I mean, you know, we had to sign something, I guess, show our driver's license and, uh, you, know, you know, get in. And, and, and we visit with Paul and we see the guard he's witnessed to and they're talking about what's happened in his life and where he's going to be going next. And he talks about some of the other guards and then you and I leave there scratching our head thinking, well, God, leave. Man, if Paul can share the gospel in that situation, I... 
Sure seems like we ought to be able to share the gospel with our friends. Sure, sure seems like we ought to be able to do that at work. If he can do it in that environment, and what does it say? They're emboldened. So again, the gospel is advancing even more. And don't forget that while Paul's got this, we'll call it downtime, he wrote four books of the New Testament. He's seeing a very productive time. He's seeing God work in his life. He's seeing God work through his life. All he sees is a win. Folks, every situation is a winner when you're living it for Christ. Now that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you like every circumstance. That doesn't mean if you had the choice, you would choose that circumstance. I mean, with all that Paul is seeing and is happening and is doing, I'm sure if he had the choice, he would not choose to be in that imprisonment. Doesn't mean every circumstance feels good. Doesn't mean sometimes it doesn't actually hurt. Sometimes it's very scary. But if you and I will stand in front of, if you and I will stand in the midst of that circumstance and say, you know, here's where I am. Whether I want to be here or not, this is where I am. God, I'm going to live it for you. In this, I will live for you. Folks, that's going to be a winner every single time. But it's not just circumstances that works with. Paul also shows us that works in relationships. Look at verses 15 to 18 here. An, an interesting group of verses. We actually have a little bit of a difficulty um, kind of interpreting this and understanding what Paul's talking about. There's a relational issue here. There's two groups of people. There's one group that is going out and they're, they're sharing the gospel and they're coming back and they're reporting to Paul about, about what's happening and people are coming to Christ and, and he's excited to hear that. He's excited to see these people he's trained doing that. But then there's another group and their identity is kind of hazy and their activity is kind of hazy. They have the right doctrine and they're sharing the right gospel, and people are genuinely coming to Christ. That's all good, right? But there's something they're doing here where they're using that almost to get a dig at Paul. I mean, the Scripture uses, you know, it says there's a, it's like there's a rivalry going on here. It's almost, and this should never happen, unfortunately it does, because of human nature. It's almost like what we would see today, maybe two churches' rivalry, against each other. And, and, and so this group, you know, Paul's confined, he's in jail, and, and man, we're really blowing and going right now. We're really doing good and growing. And instead of rejoicing at the opportunity of growing, we're using that to say, see, Paul. And, and they're getting a little bit of a dig at him. And, and that's about all I can say about this. I, it, it's hard to understand. It's hard to see what's happening here. But clearly, there's some kind of rivalry. Clearly, they are using a very good thing to try to, to hurt Paul, hurt his feelings. Now, now, how do you react? How does Paul react? What do you do when people are trying to steal your friends? What do you do when people are trying to, to bring you down, to tear you down, or, or when they're doing good, they kind of do it by stepping on your face? How do you react to that? Now, anger? Try to get even? Maybe talk it up with some others and, you know, make sure my base is secure and we don't like that group over there. Man, he doesn't do any of those things. I mean, do you see what he says here? Wait, wait a minute. Christ, Christ and the gospel are being preached. People are coming to Christ and walking with them. Uh, they're doing it because they don't like me. Well, praise the Lord, man. If the gospel is advancing, so what? So what does it mean that they do to me? 
You see, folks, what's happening here, you're seeing a very real illustration of, of what we sometimes refer to as a cliche, you know, living for Christ. Folks, he is so focused on living for Christ, it just doesn't mean anything to him what people think of him. I mean, we all want to be appreciated. We all want to be accepted. At times, it's even nice to be applauded. You know, Paul really doesn't care. My life's not about me being applauded. My life's not about me being accepted. My life is about the gospel and seeing the gospel accepted and seeing the gospel applauded. And if that's happening, who cares what they're doing to me? And I think we might hear that and think, that guy's a nut. I mean, that's not, that's not really real, is it? Yeah, it, it really is just that real for Paul. There's just really not a whole lot more way to explain it. When you're living for Christ, every circumstance. When you're living for Christ, every relationship can be an opportunity for him. Can be an opportunity to live for him. Now, let me throw something really strange at you. Folks, sometimes it's the bad relationship that gives you your best opportunity to live for Him. You know, we're always being watched. You're being watched by your children. You're being watched by friends. They, they see how you react to people. Unbelievers are watching you. Believers are watching you. They, they watch us on our good days. They watch us on our bad days. Now, you know what? Nobody really cares how we're dealing with the good relationships. Just doesn't take a lot of effort to deal with good relationships, does it? But we all watch with a note of curiosity when you're being hurt. We all watch with a note of curiosity when you're being attacked. Folks, our greatest opportunity to show the real power of God and how that power can work in our lives is in a bad relationship. Do they see us responding like they would in anger and bitterness and revenge? Or do they see gentleness? Do they see patience? Do they see kindness and forgiveness? Folks, that may be the greatest opportunity they have to see God. You see, no relationship is outside his bounds. No relationship is outside his ability to show his power if that's how you and I are approaching it. If that's how we're looking at it. We can live for God in every relationship, every circumstance. Now, obviously, much of what we're seeing of Paul here in expressing this, it is, it's an attitude, isn't it? I mean, you can be in prison and have none of these attitudes. You can, you can be being attacked by other and not have these attitudes. As a matter of fact, that's the more normal. But for Paul, no, it's a, it's a mindset. Where does that mindset come from? Well, it, same thing of what I've been saying. It's living for Christ. Living for Christ not only enables the win in a circumstance or a relationship, but it is living for Christ that enables you to see that win. If you're not living for Him in that relationship, no, I'll tell you right now, you won't see God working in that. You won't see a great victory in that. If you're not living for Him, no, you won't see Him working and advancing in that circumstance. When you're living for Him, you see it. And you end up, as He does here twice, rejoicing. Rejoicing in a place and situations where nobody rejoices in that. But he does, he twice says, I rejoice. It's a choice he makes. He chooses to rejoice. Your circumstances and friendships and relationships are not what give you the ability to make happy, to be happy. 
You choose whether you're happy or not. Well, okay, but his circumstance isn't that good. His relationships, he's being attacked. What is, he, what is he basing this on that he makes this choice to rejoice? I think it's based on verse 21. I think this is the heart and the soul of Paul. I think if you cut him, this is what he bleeds. For me to live as Christ... Wherever, whatever, whoever, living is for Christ. And dying? Well, shoot, when you die, that's just when it gets really good. (laughs) When you die, that's when it gets better and better and better. That's heaven. I can't lose. That's his attitude. I can't lose. As a matter of fact, he says here, I count on this, verse 19, I know this is going to lead to my deliverance. That word for deliverance is the same word we also use for salvation. Now, when we hear that word, we usually think of it in a spiritual sense, don't we? we? We think of being saved from sin, from death, from hell. But it also has a physical sense. We're, we're being saved from jail, saved from a, a bad situation. What's Paul referring to? Is he referring to a spiritual deliverance or is he referring to a physical deliverance? I think probably both. I think he's counting on being delivered however this turns out. I think Paul's kind of surveying his options of how things can turn out and all he sees is a win. All he sees is a gain, a profit, an advantage. He sits here and says, you know what? I've been thinking about this. If I never get out of jail, okay, then I just keep witnessing to Roman guards one at a time and sending them to this spot and that spot and that spot and that spot all over the empire. If God so chooses, he'll continue to inspire and work through me to, to write the New Testament. How awesome! Bring it on! Let's do that! That's a win! If I get out of jail, then I just keep doing what God called me to do, equipped me to do, and that's a win! Well, yeah, I guess there is one other option. I could die... Bring it on! That's when everything gets to where I've been trying to go to. No matter what Paul looks at in life, it turns out as a win. Now, is, does Paul just have kind of a Pollyanna view? Just puts a big smiley face on everything, whether it's, whether it's happy or not? Is he really just crazy? No, this, these circumstances are difficult. And they'll wear on you. And he says, I need help. I I need help to to maintain this outlook. I need help to hold on to this view in life. Look what he says there in verse 19. Man, I need your prayers. And I need the help of uh, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You can determine to live for Christ as you're at the start of any issue or circumstance, as you're working in a relationship, you can determine to live for Christ. But to be able to actually do it, to be able to stay in there when it gets tough, Paul says, man, I I am counting on my relationship with the church and my relationship with God. Folks, we're standing here on a Sunday. we got the start of a new week in front of us. Really, we're right around the corner to September and the, you know, kind of the fall and the the ending of 2010. I mean, the home stretch for 2010 is going to be in front of us. Did you know that you and you alone determine whether 2010 will be defined as a win? It's not your job. It's not your circumstances. It's not any relationship. Nobody can steal a win from you. 
every single situation you can live for Christ. You can live for Christ whether you're single, married, or divorced. You can live for Christ with a job, without a job, and in a bad job. You can live for Christ if you're young and if you're old. You can live for Christ if you're healthy and if you're unhealthy. You can live for Christ if you know exactly what you're going to do next. And you can live for Christ if you don't have a clue what you're going to do next. In every situation, you can live for Him. That's why every situation you can win. So you alone determine what 2010 is going to be. If you stand here in each situation, in each week, in each relationship and say, I will live for you in that, Jesus. Now, Paul says you'll you'll need some help. If If that's the commitment, if that's the determination you want to make, you're going to need the church. You're going to need God. So if I'm going to prepare for a win for the rest of 2010, i got to be thinking, you've got to be thinking, we should all be thinking, hey, what is one step I can take today in my relationship with Christ? What is one step I can take today in my relationship with God? Do you know every person in this room can? There's not a person in this room who can't take one step To strengthen and grow your relationship with Jesus. Take one step to strengthen and grow your relationship with the church. So where are you standing today and what would that step to be? I would plead with you, don't go to bed tonight until you know what that one step in both of these areas would be. Now there might be some in here today, the the greatest step you could take in your relationship with Christ is the first step. To begin that relationship, to receive his, his gift of forgiveness and eternal life. To receive the gift of Him coming and living in you. In a moment we'll be concluding our service and as you know we always have a time of invitation. Take a step of faith. Come forward and tell one of these pastors, I want to begin a relationship with Christ. That's the most profound step you can take in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's the step you need to take today. Maybe the step you need to take today is to follow Him in believer's baptism. Jesus gave us a model, an example of how and when to be baptized and said, follow me in this. Maybe maybe you've come into a relationship with Christ last year, a couple of years ago, whenever, but you've never followed Him in that example and that believer's baptism. Maybe that's the step you need to take today. Maybe the step you need to take this week is to relate with Jesus this week. I'm not talking about for the rest of the month or for the rest of the year. I'm not, the next seven days, I'm going to spend a little time with Jesus every single day. In prayer, in His Word, I'm going to spend time with Him every single day. For seven days. Maybe the step you need to take, we go back to this passage. I mean, there is an activity that raises Paul's life above the humdrum, above the insignificant and above the temporary. And it is witnessing the gospel. He has given His life to what is eternal, to what is most significant, to what counts forever. Folks, there's no reason you and I can't bring that same activity into our lives. We may do a lot of different things in life, but we're going to do it to be a witness for Him. That's just a couple of ideas. But what's the step you need to take in your relationship with Christ? Maybe maybe what we need to say is, God, what step do you want me to take? In my relationship with Christ. How about the church? You know, think think of the church for a moment in concentric circles. You know, there's the center, 
And then there's an outer circle. And then there's an outer circle. You know, a lot of us, we, we become comfortable just kind of flirting out here on the edges of the circle. You know, I like just kind of keeping this relationship kind of, kind of loosey-goosey. You know, maybe somebody knows my name. Maybe they don't. I'm okay with that. Just kind of want to keep it out here on the edge. No real expectation. Folks, can I, can I promise you with all my heart, that's not God's will for anybody. Think of all the places and things you're looking for God in today. But God does have a will for your life. Are you in that will? Because His will's not out here in the peripheral. That's not where He has a design for you to live. So, so maybe the step you need to take today is to come into church membership. Maybe today when, when we have that time of invitation, you need to come forward and say, I want to be a member here. And if you don't believe God wants you to be a member here, then find the place where He wants you to be a member and get there. Because His will for you is not out here on the peripheral. It is to be moving toward the center of getting involved. And even as you become a member, because obviously most of us in here are members of Colonial Heights Baptist, but we're still kind of comfortable in the big group. Kind of in here in the large room. You know, the problem with only being involved in the large room is it's real easy just to kind of become a spectator. I promise you with all my heart, God's will for you is not to be a spectator. He wants you getting engaged and involved. And in the, maybe the most significant step you could take is to move just from being a part of the big group into a smaller group like Bible Fellowship. Where you can be ministered to and encouraged and, and served and have the opportunity to minister and serve and encourage others. You say, well, I just don't, re I don't really have that need in my life. Could I very gently just say God could care less whether you feel you don't have that need in your life? It's a command. It's His will for you to be moving to the center. Maybe it is to say, you know what, I, I, I'm involved in the big room, I'm involved in Bible fellowship, but, but I'm really, I'm just kind of in a place of absorbing. I'm just absorbing what's happening here. Folks, nothing wrong with absorbing. God has given us the church because individually I have needs. My family has needs. And God uses the church to serve and to meet a lot of those needs. But He doesn't want me coming here just to absorb what the church has. His will is that I'm coming here to give to serve, to become involved in this church being and doing what God wants it to be and do. Folks, wherever you are in these circles, God's desire for you is to see you moving toward the center. What are you saying to Him today? Are, are, are you going to say no? No, God, I, I'm, I'm going to stay out here. I, I'm not moving to the center. I, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not, I'm not going to take that step. If you're saying no, then don't wonder where God is. Don't wonder why you never see the win. And it's not because God won't give it to you. It's because you've cut yourself off from all ability to see and be a part of what God is doing in your life and in His church. You and you alone determine if 2010 is going to be a winner. Whether it's in your relationships, in your circumstances, you alone. Nothing out there in this world determines that for you. But you're going to need His church. 
And you're going to need him. What's the choice you're making? I tell you what, folks, I want to give some of you right now, I'm not even going to pray. Let's just move into our invitation. I want to give some of you right now an opportunity not to even have to think about it. Say, you know what? I'm going to take a step. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to come down here and I'm going to ask Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. I'm going to go down there and say, I, I, I've been putting off baptism or I've been debating this in my mind. No, I'm just going to be baptized. I'm going to join the church. Maybe you're going, to, you're going to take your greatest step right here and right now down here at the front. Maybe when we turn and leave, you're going to go out there to one of these desks and say, where and how can I get involved? Is it in Awana? Is it learning to share the gospel at faith? Is it go out the information desk? I need a ministry. Tell me where to get involved. I need to take a step. Folks, every one of us can take a step. You're not going to say no, are you? Don't say no. As our congregation stands and sings, you come.